Welcome to the Mindful Dietitian interview series. I'm Fiona Sutherland, dietitian from Melbourne, Australia and director of the Mindful Dietitian. Please join me as I interview dietitians from all over the world who are experts in health at every size, the non-diet approach and mindfulness-based practice. These are a collection of interviews by a dietitian for dietitians and nutritionists so that we can build a strong community of wonderful professionals who share an inclusive vision of well-being for everybody in everybody. Thanks so much for joining me. Hello, Mindful Dietitians, and welcome back to the interview series. Today, I had the most wonderful conversation with our colleague, Marsha Hudnall, who is the director, as you probably will know, of Green Mountain at Fox Run, which is a retreat center for women who struggle with eating and body image issues based in Vermont in the US. Uh, so Marsha is a registered dietitian nutritionist, and over the past 30 years, she has been a thought leader and absolutely a voice of reason in helping people move away from dieting and restriction and towards health and a much more sustainable approach. She not only has worked in eating disorder recovery and body image, but is also an amazing supporter of dietitians. I personally have found her incredibly generous in both her time and energy, and I've never heard anybody say a bad word about Marsha. She's just really inspiring and incredible. So she's really spent her career working to help women give up dieting and understand how to take care of themselves through mindful eating. She's very passionate about mindful eating and hence being president of the Center for Mindful Eating. And really her mission is about helping women to learn to enjoy eating without worrying about health and weight. She loves food herself and uh, doesn't mind being called a foodie and uh, really is a, is a supporter of uh, helping people to embrace their love of food rather than turning away from it and really sees uh, a f being a foodie means being able to pay attention to when, what and how you eat. So uh, Green Mountain has been in Marsha's hot little hands since 1986. So really it's a retreat centre that pioneered the non-diet approach to health and healthy weights. She's also a very accomplished writer and has written hundreds of articles um, for, for magazines and newsletters and journals, um, radio, television, everything, you name it. Um, her speciality really is about dieting, diet mentality, eating behaviours, uh, binge eating, uh, eating disorders in general, and emotional eating. So Marsha has held lots of amazing positions um, in national professional associations. She has just stepped down from uh, being on the board of the Binge Eating Disorder Association, otherwise known as BEDA um, in order to step into that position as president of the Centre for Mindful Eating. So you can find a lot more about Marsha on Green Mountain's website, which is www.fitwoman.com. She writes for the blog A Weight Lifted. She's also on Twitter. All, all her contact details are all on the notes from the interview. Um, and I really hope you enjoy this. I, I just find Marsha incredibly inspiring. And, and really, to be honest, um, her work is one of the reasons why I do what I do. And, uh, and certainly, Marsha's been on my radar to, uh, to speak with for, for a long time. So I really hope you enjoy this. And uh, so sit back, uh, wrap a blankie around you, grab
grab a cup of tea and a notebook because you might want to listen carefully to all of Marsha's wisdom. Enjoy. Good morning, good evening uh, or to wherever you are in the world and welcome back to the Mindful Dietitian interview series. Today I am just so thrilled to be speaking with uh, one of the most formative people in my career, that's for sure. Somebody who I'm very, very fortunate to have had much more contact with over the past couple of years, and that is Marsha Hudnell. So welcome, Marsha. Hi, Fiona. It's a delight to speak to you today. Yeah, it's been, um, uh, it, it's, it's so interesting how you, you we were talking before about how you connect over social media and how you, you get to know people, um, you know, in in lots of weird and wonderful ways before actually meeting with them. That's true. And I remember how we first met through the Center for Mindful Eating when you were so eager to help. And uh, as uh, the current president of that organization, I'm, uh, I'm always uh, thrilled to find anyone <laughs> who wants to join in on the mission, which is to teach others, uh, you know, particularly health professionals about mindful eating. And you're certainly a great, great practitioner that we just love to bring into the fold. Oh, thank you so much. That's that's very, very generous of you. And the, the best thing these days, of course, is that it's an international community, isn't it? You know, so we don't just have to connect with people in our local area. It's just a blessing to know that we're all you know, working together. Absolutely. There, um, well, with TCME, there are um, representatives, at least in, in several foreign countries now, or foreign, I call it foreign. We started in the U.S., but, you know, global. Um, and um, it is, uh, it's just wonderful to, to see this message spreading throughout the world because it, it absolutely is needed. So, um, thank you for being such a huge presence in in Australia and bringing it to your your country. Oh my gosh, it's my absolute pleasure, and I know that I mean we share much in common, Marsha, and uh, and certainly our our passion for bringing mindful eating uh, both to the community and also for uh, speaking about it within our professions too, because. Uh, yeah, that's something I know we both feel very, very passionate about is the role of, of mindfulness and mindful eating for dietitians, which kind of brings, it, it brought us together in the first place, didn't it really? It did. It did. <laughs> yeah. Shared passion. A shared passion. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so, uh, Marsha, can you please tell us a little bit about uh, your your career, um, you know, how, how you came to become a dietitian in the first place and maybe some of the more important learning points along the way? Well, Fiona, I, I, I started out from my interest in, in nutrition um, started as a result of uh, having an eating disorder. And uh, that was something that I struggled with throughout most of my 20s. And it was something that started very early in my life in terms of um, problems with my body image that um, began dieting in my late teens. And quickly for me, the perfectionist that I am led to an eating disorder. And, um, you know, it's sort of the idea of, of a physician heal thyself. In this case, it was more dietitian heal thyself, although I was not a dietitian at that point, but I became very interested in nutrition 
And I was just searching for something to do with my life, uh, get an education so I could do more than be a secretary, which is how I earned my living at the time, and ended up uh, studying nutrition and went into dietetics. And um, it was... um, it it was my salvation in terms of, uh, you know, healing myself because I did, um, through various experiences in my career, um, come to understand really what was going on with me. And I uh, was able to move past uh, my eating disorder at a time when there weren't really, uh, there wasn't a lot of knowledge about eating disorders at the time. Mm. In fact, it was pretty you know, uncommon, relatively speaking, compared to today, which is a very sad comment. But um, but um, be, becoming a dietitian really did help me in that journey. Mm. So it was your interest, or perhaps uh, over interest, in uh, in nutrition that led you into the profession, and then uh, and uh, part of being a, a, a professional that helped you to heal. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was, you know, gaining the knowledge and then, um, you know, actually beginning to work with with people and learn from other people um, that um, led me to really understanding, which is really that's something we'll probably talk a little about a little bit more later is that idea of, of you can get a lot of knowledge, which, again, I had even before I went into nutrition because I was very much into the health food end of things. Um, of course, we know some of that is not exactly knowledge, it's misinformation. Right, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but um, you know, you still get some some good snippets out of those experiences. And um, uh, I forget where I was going with it, but um, certainly it was just that experience of uh, learning something from from a book but then putting it into practice and and that makes all the difference yeah most definitely so what was it uh, when you started to speak to other people about their own experiences with food and eating what was it that you were hearing that uh that, that brought you to kind of question the way that you had been interacting with food yourself well, I was very much into the um, the diet mode, the diet mentality, and um, you know we know how that is. That there are certain foods that are off limits, and that was um, a, a major problem for me personally. And I saw it being a major problem for most of the people that I worked with, also. And um, you know, it's that forbidden fruit tastes the sweetest type of thing. So that when you forbid something, then um, it's really all you can think about. Or at least it seems to be human nature. And there, I think recently I've heard there's there's some you know survival mechanism thoughts going on in there <laughs> potentially. Um, but um, and then you know with the diet. Uh, mentality also um, have, and this is very true for me, but most of the people I was working with weren't feeding themselves adequately. They weren't getting enough food. Mm. So you put those two um, things together and it's real recipe for um, eating in a way that really is not supportive. It's going to lead you down the, down the wrong path uh, to wellness and in achieving any kind of goals that you have for yourself in the area of uh, 
of your life, you know, it just gets in the way of, of living. So certainly eating is, is fundamental to our well-being. And if you're not uh, feeding yourself well, then you're, you're taking one of your major supports out from under you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Most definitely. So from what you're saying, it, is it fair to say that you were hearing other people's stories of feeling, um, of feeling disconnected or feeling um, out of control around, around food? And a lot of that was kind of echoing or mirroring your own experience. So in uh, supporting people, in offering a therapeutic kind of environment for other people, it sounds as if you were offering that same kind of support for yourself in a way. Oh, absolutely. The, the, mm. My career has been <laughs> really defined by my personal experience, mm. which, you know, fortunately has been, um, well, fortunately or unfortunately, has, has, it's a pretty common experience these days. So um, having that firsthand knowledge of it um, has, has been very helpful to me in terms of, of relating and um, connecting, trying to trying to help people find their own way out of the morass of, of dieting and, and, you know, body hate. It's it all tied in together. It, it is. It's all kind of in the same muck, isn't it, really? Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, Marsha, some, uh, some student dietitians or graduate dietitians I know that have had their own experience of an eating disorder, they sometimes express concern that, uh, you know, that maybe it might not be terribly well regarded uh, as a health professional to have had that experience. And I think that over time, certainly attitudes have changed with regards to people who have had their own experience with an eating disorder and then becoming an eating disorder professional themselves. So can you share with us a little bit about any, you know, any wisdom that you might share with people who might be feeling a bit concerned about, um, about you know, having had their own experience and then wanting to work in, in the field as well? Well, I know when I first began, it was, you know, I kept my eating disorder a secret from, from everyone. <laughs> And I think I did that relatively successfully. Um, but um, as I began to work more with people, I saw that it really did um, help with the connection. If people understood that, if my clients understood that, you know, I'd been there too. I had struggled with that too. And, and I think that's true, you know, even if a person doesn't have a full-blown eating disorder, um, as women in this society and increasingly men, there's so much concern about about body and, you know, what we look like and um, these sorts of things that um, I think sharing that knowledge is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, it, it can help you connect. The, the issue is being very clear that what you're sharing is not crossing over into any kind of uh, disordered type of um, behaviors or attitudes that is, is not going to help your client. You know, if you haven't completely healed yourself, um, then um, that can be a, a you know, uh, mm. uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not not where you want to go. So, yeah. you know, ideally, mm. if you had an eating disorder, you'd probably have supervision about uh, how to share that. Mm. So oh, that's you, wonderful advice. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, wonderful advice so that you can um, share your experiences but do so with wisdom so you know when, yeah. where and how to do it um, right. rather than finding yourself in a position where you're thinking, whoops, that was an overshare. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, I mean, you and I would have both been in, we've both been in those situations where you think, oh, yep, <laughs> that didn't exactly <laughs> come out the way I wish but I guess a part of having an authentic relationship with uh, a client is then being able to go back and you know make the repair to any um, you know therapeutic quote-unquote error that you may have made so yeah. absolutely I mean I think it's important for us all to understand that we're not perfect you know we're not expected to be perfect um, so if we see where we uh, misstepped then um, go back and acknowledge it and that was one of um, the most important pieces of advice that I got in raising my children from a child psychiatrist that I'd met very early a neighbor early on when they were they were infants it was that you know you're not going to do it perfectly so if you you know make mistakes just go back and apologize and let them know mm. you know and, and so same thing it's true and I think throughout life you know we're not going to be perfect so just acknowledge it and um, move forward yeah yeah absolutely so so parenting or in our professional lives our personal lives would you know whichever I think it's you know that's that's part of um, uh, you know bringing the real human into the picture isn't it? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah and I think it's role modeling too mm -hmm. it's a great role model for your clients because you know with all these eating issues, there is so much perfection involved, perfectionistic tendencies. Yeah. Do you mind talking a little bit about that, Marsha? Because I think that, uh, you know, sometimes we, we might not be terribly confident at speaking about perfectionism and how that interrupts uh, people having a good relationship with food. So what's your kind of, what's your um, take on, you know, how perfectionism or the role of perfectionism, I suppose, in, in disrupting in disrupting the food and body relationship? Well, I think perfection, these perfectionist tendencies leave no room for the middle ground. You know, it's either you're, you're um, all on or you're all off, you know, at least if you're caught up in, in the diet mentality, which, again, I think, as far as the diet mentality goes, a lot of people think, well, I don't diet anymore. You know, I'm not into that. But, you know, there's still a lot of those leftover attitudes about food. Uh, you should eat this. You shouldn't eat that. If you eat that, you know, you're really not eating something that's very good for you, you know, and those sorts of things. So there's just real no middle ground there for someone who's caught up in perfectionism tendencies but you know being being human again is um, if you're going to 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 make it through life in a um, relatively comfortable way we've got to be flexible because things don't always go how we planned and so if we can find that middle ground and um, really try to be happy there you know and learn from that because it, there's great learning to be had, um, especially if you if you you see yourself going to extremes, um, mm. which again is something that 
I think any of us will do at times, mm-hmm. but it's to be able to allow that and say, okay, I recognize what that is. And you know what? Doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, and then you can, you can pull yourself back to the middle and it's just, um, it's a learning opportunity that um, the more you do it, then the end of, I think the less you do it mm. because you can uh, recognize better. You get it when it starts to, when it pops up, mm. the where, greater awareness is there. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So, so in other words, what you're saying is, is that in the development of awareness um, that the people are much more, uh, maybe quickly able to see when they're heading towards one end or the other or, or adopting perfectionistic attitudes or behaviours into, yep. into daily life. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You just can just recognise it earlier on and mm. may not completely avoid some of the extreme behaviors, but you can maybe re- remove yourself from them a lot faster. Yes, that's true. And I want to, I want to really come back to this because I know how passionate you are about, about mindfulness practice and about how we as professionals can integrate it into our lives. So I'm going to bookmark that for myself and, and definitely come back to it. Um, so a lot of a lot of our fellow dietitians, Marsha, will uh, will know that you are director of Green Mountain at Fox Run, which is oh gosh, I, I was so blessed to be able to visit uh, late last year. Um, so tell us a little bit about Green Mountain and how it came how it came to you. I feel like it came to you or maybe you came to it. I'm not sure how you would describe it, but um, I just, I I, I love this whole story. So I'm going to hand over to you for a bit. (laughs) Well, I apologize to anyone who's heard it before, but I like to tell it kind of in the same way because it uh, makes for a better story. But um, Green Mountain was um, actually the brainchild of my mother-in-law who is a registered dietitian. She was, she's retired now because she's almost 95 years old. So we'll, we'll go with that. Yeah. We'll let her, we'll (laughs) let her just live out her twilight years in peace. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And, um, her name's Thelma Whaler and she was quite the uh, visionary in her time. And she had worked back in the 1950s in diabetes camps for children. And she, observed in her experience there the effect that restrictive eating had on their ability to make choices in their own best interests. So when she saw dieting start to take over the American psyche, really um, in the, uh, at least the American woman's psyche uh, back in the early 60s, she resolved to found a place where she could teach women how to eat instead of starve. And Green Mountain at Fox Run came out of that. She started it as a summer program um, on the uh, campus of a small college. It was a two-year college at the time here in Vermont called Green Mountain. That's where the name Green Mountain came from. And um, she, her um, whole philosophy was radical back then. And it was that diets make you gain weight. You're not going to 
cause you to lose weight, <laughs> you know, and they're, they're really going to create more problems than they solve. And of course she was thought at the time to be absolutely out of her mind by most of her colleagues. Um, in fact, we heard from um, a colleague a, a few years ago who said, you know, I was at a professional meeting, a dietetic meeting, and listening to your mother talk back in the 1980s or 70s or something like that. And she said, and I remember we were sitting around going, this woman is crazy, you know. <laughs> what is she talking about? And she goes, wow, what did she know that we didn't? Well, again, her experience is what, what showed her that and she had enough um, awareness to uh, understand what was going on with her her children clients who were you know all caught up in restriction so anyway um, then she ran Green Mountain for I don't know about 10 years and um, then her son who was a um, or is a nutritional biochemist who'd been working in in research down in Boston and she she called him up and said you know I've had enough I think she started Green Mountain when she was 50 and she was going into her 60s and she said I'm I'm tired you know if you want this place you can have it if not I'm gonna shut it down and so he he took the leap and um, I was at a professional at a, um, the American Dietetic Association. It was called at the time. Now it's called the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. A professional meet a conference, the annual conference, and Green Mountain was exhibiting. And one of I was working at a PR agency in New York, and one of my colleagues um, started talking to Alan, who is Thelma's son. And um, we ended up getting Green Mountain as an account to publicize it because, again, I was working in PR. Anyway, I came up here to learn more about the program so I could better promote it. And um, I, because of my eating disorder history, I was recovered by the time I found Green Mountain. I recognized what I was looking at. And um, I like to say that I really was very attracted to the principles of the program, but then I also became very attracted to the son of the owner, Alan. I <laughs> <laughs> love it. And we got married. And so here I am, 30 something years later, um, still involved with Green Mountain and um, um, been a. Um, a journey of, of passion, not not just for my husband, but uh, for the work that we do. And uh, it's it's been a very fulfilling career being here, um, working with the different women who come. For the most part, are um, women who struggle with chronic dieting uh, that has moved all the way to binge eating uh, for many of them, binge eating disorder, and um, to see. Um, their reactions to um, our approach is um, it's actually heartbreaking because they feel so liberated yeah. and relieved and what's heartbreaking about it is that it's just not more known mm. Mm. you know that people are still caught up in the, the restrictive mode around food the over-exercising, the negative talk about their bodies, the, you know, hating their bodies, all those sorts of things that really just combine to make 
for a very miserable life for many people, for people who are caught up in this. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Some of the stories that women tell you and I are just, they're absolutely heartbreaking and how many years they've spent, um, you know, at war with their bodies and, and really at war with food and, and how it's interrupted um, their relationships and, and careers and just life in general. Um, so, Tell us, Marsha, a little bit about the philosophy that underpins Green Mountain. Well, the philosophy at Green Mountain was, uh, from its inception, was non-diet. It was uh, about uh, really learning how to um, listen to your body and make choices about what you think you need in the moment. And... Um, it was really mindful eating before we, the term became popular. Um, I'm not sure that, um, I don't know when that term came into being, but, but uh, Thelma had used the term conscious eating. Um, but then we, we had John Kabat-Zinn, who's kind of the father of mindfulness in this country up in the 80s to talk to our clients. And I think we started oh, using the wow. term mindful eating then. Oh my gosh. So John Kabat-Zinn at Green Mountain at Fox Run. Oh right. In the 1980s. Oh, <laughs> I think that's my dream combination of, uh, of a, a person to hear speak in a location like Green Mountain. Oh my goodness me. So the very lucky women who would have been there at that time. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was quite the, uh, and of course, you know, no one had any idea of how, mindfulness would come to be so popular but it was always something that um we believed in very strongly um and again it's it's reflection i think originally of thelma that she was a very um this may sound funny but um and and we can make a joke out of it being you know family, but she was very strong-willed person. Yeah, <laughs> she very you know very much mm. believed in herself and in her ideas, and um, and I think that um, comes out of um, or at least it's it's part of being being in your body and and yes. confident in yourself and in these sorts of things. So it was something that was very um, central to her philosophy and and certainly as as uh, we developed um, the program and we added psychologists and uh, other professionals into the mix um, it became much more clear how important that whole concept was to what we were trying to teach yes yeah mindfulness being one of the one of the central tenets uh, that you use at, at Green Mountain. And uh, it, would you describe it primarily as uh, health at every size or non-diet approach? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, certainly non-diet is the, is the, um, from the, from the beginning. Sometimes it was called anti-diet too. I kind of don't like anti-diet is because it's not as much, um, I don't know, anti, I just don't like adversarial type of concepts, sure. you know, yeah. it, it's more about, okay, I just choose not to, to go that direction. I'm not going to use that type of approach, but, um, but the, um, 
the health at every size, um, health at every size, that terminology came into being and maybe in the nineties, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were always health at every size, you know, that was always under, under lay, underlaid our, our uh, philosophy because we were always focused on health and not yes. weight. Yes. It was about how to you support your health and your well-being, and then let your body find the place that's right for it. Um, and um, we were—I know I did go to um, several of the uh, conferences that um, the different groups that led up to the formation of the Association for Size Diversity and Health, which. I love that that organization because it really has taken that concept and, and really um, made it um, a mission to, to get it out to the world. And um, as you know, we need all the, the help we can get to spread mm-hmm. that message in today's world. Mm, definitely. And it's, it's interesting to, to hear and to see amongst dietitians, um, both in Australia and, and overseas, the traction that we're now able to get um, and, the, and the way we're able to uh, share the message of the non-diet approach or, or health at every size um, and how spectacularly supportive a lot of dietitians are. So, I mean, that must have been, that, this must be interesting through your career to, to observe the increased uptake of these philosophies amongst dietitians. Yeah, I mean it's it's um it gives me hope for the future. Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, because I mean I think in reality the struggles around eating um at least the prevalence of it is is only increased mm-hmm. in the time that I've been working in this field. I mean, mm-hmm. I think uh it's it's just really become in my opinion, epidemic mm. and, um, and to see more, um, people who are, uh, working to help people with these struggles as well as the people themselves to begin to understand this, um, is, it's, it's just, again, it, it gives me hope for the future because I mean, back in the, 80s when I really started working in it um it really felt like you were out there all alone there were Mm -hmm. a few people who were doing this work but but we were few and far between and the internet wasn't available I know Mm. can you imagine Mm -hmm. (laughs) without the internet Mm -hmm. but you know there wasn't a good way to connect with people so you you really did feel very alone in doing this work and or at least I felt very alone in doing this work and um, in having a, a community to um, to learn from has been tremendous. But again, to to join your voices together to try to to make a yourself better heard is uh, tremendous too. Yeah, and it's an ongoing task, unfortunately. Absolutely, absolutely. Yes. Um, and I always I always like to just make one point um, that there is always still. Uh, great confusion about what health at every size means. Mm, mm. And, 
you know, people tend to say, well, does that mean I can be healthy at any size? And it's like, well, that's not the point of it. The point of it is that we want to focus on health regardless of size. We don't really want to make size the point. Right. Uh, you know, we want yeah. to make the focus on taking care of yourself the point. And, you know, there's good research now that shows that, you know, going down that path is much more beneficial to our health than continuing to stay focused on our weight. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you so much, Marsha, for making that point because you're right. It's, it, it's confusing for health professionals and the general public alike. And when, of course, as we know, when confusion reigns, uh, it's, it's very difficult for people to find some stability and a, and a, and a, trusting, a trusting kind of centre to come back to. So if we can find um, a language and we can be very clear about what health at every size is and what it isn't, and we feel confident in, in the way that we explain it, then, we, then we're able to share the true um, meaning of it without getting caught up in uh, in the distractions of but what about but what about this and but what about that you know we can just stick to the to the the most important aspects of it which as you say it's it's um, giving people the option at that's I think what's what a lot of people don't realize is that there are options for you you have options to take care of yourself it's not about it's not just about pursuing weight loss as some kind of um, a golden ticket uh, because of course it's anything but a golden ticket yeah right it's like a golden ticket to hell but right. um, <laughs> Um, but I think, no, you're right. I think if we can, um, especially as a professional community, if we can clarify some of those very basic definitions for ourselves and where we can, we can get across some of that research that you mentioned, um, it leaves us in a pretty strong position to be able to communicate both to our clients and to also fellow health professionals and uh, maybe uh, physicians and GPs um, who are, uh, who might, who may not they simply may not be aware. Uh, they, they really care about their clients as we do, but they just simply might not be aware. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, I think that is, there is no question about the caring. It's just mm. the um, understanding um, that there's a different way to start looking at this that, that really does offer, um, it offers sustainability. <laughs> You know, yeah. people can mm. do this, which mm. is, and they can do it long term because it's a very pleasant way to live. Mm. Yeah, yes, definitely. And it's a way that people can feel then reconnected, mm -hmm. re reconnected with the world. They don't need to miss out Exit. on life. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, Marsha, uh, you're, you mentioned uh, previously that you're the president of the Centre for Mindful Eating and that's how we first um, became connected. So, um, so mindfulness clearly is a, is a big part of your life, both personally and, and professionally. Tell us a little bit about um, how important, the, the important part that mindfulness has played in your life. Mindfulness is is really about what we were just talking about. It's about awareness and understanding. Mm -hmm. And um, I think, you know, so many of us today, and certainly it's very true for me, uh, are so caught up in doing 
and instead of being. Yeah. And um, what mindfulness has really um, made possible for me is an awareness um, of in my daily life that um, gives me those choices that 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 you were talking about to the options, you know, that there's just not this one path that you've got to follow down. Um, Thelma used to talk about being on a, a plank of choice that you can meander down versus being walking on a diet type rope, tight rope. Well, mm -hmm. you know, mindfulness, you can look at that in your whole life. If you're, you're trying to just follow this real, um, straight line of um, what you think you should be doing and um, how you should be being instead of um, being able to uh, step back and look at what's really going on in your life and see what the choices are there and then make the ones that seem right to you in the moment. Mm -hmm. So that may sound rather vague, but um, it, it is a, a practice that um, gives you much greater awareness of not only how you are in the world, but the choices that you have to to be different if mm. um, that is something that would feel better to you, mm. um, both in terms of um, how you are, but also in terms of what you do, you know, and, and, and what you contribute uh, to your profession, to your, to your family, to your own life. Mm. Um, so it's, it's a wonderful practice that I think is also getting a little misunderstood because it's been become so popular um, these days recently that, um, people have sometimes misconceptions about what it is that it's sitting for hours meditating and, mm. you know, being mm. <laughs> you know, some, some sort of guru of sorts, but that's not it at all. Maybe mm. I'm exaggerating there, but I hear that a lot of times people it's like, Oh no, I can't do that. Mm. Yeah, no, I don't think you're exaggerating at all, Marsha. I think that um, th there is this there is this misconception that it's it, it, that you do have to sit in lotus position for hours upon hours, and who has hours upon hours? Right. Um, yeah, but I think it's it's interesting how uh, how important and it's such a beautiful practice that as dietitians we can integrate into our own lives, and then bring into our own. Um, our own professional setting as well. So I wanted to ask you, I want to ask you your opinion on something. Um, you know, given, given the rise in interest in mindfulness practice and, and mindful eating practice specifically amongst uh, our, our colleagues, amongst dietitians, um, how important do you think it is that people, people develop their own personal practice um, first before bringing that into a professional setting? I'm I'm um, I'm hesitant to say you have to develop it first. I would say that you can, as you're developing it, you can you can start communicating your experience because I I do think that mindfulness again it's it's a practice and and the more you do it, the more you you learn, 
and uh, so there's the there's the theory of mindfulness that you can teach but as you um, practice it on your own you you understand more of the nuances and and um, you know you become a better teacher of it um, but certainly I wouldn't suggest necessarily trying or thinking that you're a teacher if you don't of it a, a, an effective teacher of mindfulness if you don't have a mindfulness practice of your own sure sure and how do you think specifically that that we benefit as as dietitians and actually just as human beings um, who who often work in um, some difficult situations with people who can who who find themselves maybe quite unwell or who can get distressed about things how what does mindfulness offer us as professionals in your opinion what well, I really do think one of the one of the most um, beneficial aspects of um, mindfulness for dietitians um, is the non-judgmental aspect of it. Mm. And again, we're a product of our own our own experience, or and, and our experience is living in a society where there is tons of, of judgment about mm. food and in eating and so bringing that non-judgment into your own life <laughs> as mm. well as your 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 practice your um your counseling is uh, is is really critical to to truly helping people and helping yourself and it's it's really critical to mindfulness too because uh, again it's not about um, following some rule or doing something, uh, some specific prescribed way. It is about being in the moment, observing what is going on, and then making decisions about what is best for you in the moment. And um, I always like to um, talk about, it's one of the examples that I uh, use in teaching, is that you know you're at a birthday party and everyone's eating cake and you're eating an apple so the question is is an apple healthy for you is that a, a you know your best choice in the moment uh, and um what would be your answer fiona well, for me, considering the the context of what you've described, then the joyous nature of celebrating somebody's birthday for me personally would be best matched with cake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what it comes down to is is the, is, is the apple something that you really want? Right. Yeah, you know, and absolutely. and if you're mindful. You know, if you're in touch, if you're aware of your, you know, thoughts and, and feelings around cake versus an apple, you'll be better able to make that choice because sometimes some people really do want the apple. Yeah. You yeah. know, mm -hmm. but if you force yourself to have the apple because you think, you know, the cake is bad, all that uh. judging around cake, then, um, you know where that leads for most mm -hmm. people they'll go home and eat the cake and mm -hmm. they won't eat just one slice they'll eat yeah. you know half of it or more yeah, yeah. 
Isn't it interesting? So, so what you're really describing is the idea of when we can open up to create awareness of uh, what lies, I guess, underneath or behind the choices that we're making, then we can truly make healthful choices that really take good care of us. And sometimes, and sometimes those choices will be nutritionally dense, you know, if you want to describe it like that. And sometimes that they will be less so and that it, all of that is okay um, and that all of that we, we actually have room for all of it in our in our life we have room for the mm-hmm. you know the eating for joy and uh, and the eating for nourishment or um, you know p- maybe particularly in the case of someone if, if someone has a health condition or a medical condition that um, uh, you know that taking good care of oneself is also taking into account any any nutritional or dietary needs that accommodate for for a, a health condition as well absolutely so in that case you know a person choosing between the apple and the cake may make the decision you know what i don't want the cake because i know down the mm. road it's not going to particularly do me well <laughs> so it's really not something I want and that you know again that changes that dynamic from I can't have to I don't want That's and that is a tremendous shift in in the way that we think that really does empower us to make decisions in our own best interest yeah yeah, completely agree. Actually, that's one of the conundrums that a lot of, uh, of fellow dietitians and uh, clients bring to me is, yeah, but what if I what if I have this medical condition, or what if somebody's diagnosed with even something like diabetes or celiac disease? And actually, one of the best webinars I've ever heard was the the one that you did for TCME, which was entitled. Um, I think it was entitled "When the Doctor Says No" or something like right, that. Yeah, Can't quite yeah. remember. Um, and I, for me, um, it just really clarified a lot of those concepts around how you can still um, how you can still really work with the central tenets of mindfulness and mindful eating, whilst taking into account any individual needs. Um, so. So how do you kind of describe how we can, as dietitians, we can still, you know, still stay true to the, the, the tenets of, of mindful eating whilst accommodating for, uh, for, for a health condition? What, what you said how would I describe that Is yeah that you so how yeah. do you how how do you kind of incorporate um, you know how you can adapt mindful eating if somebody has a health or a medical condition well it it, it is about um, again I came back going back to that word of awareness and yeah voices. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same and, stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, in, in that sense, it's very simple. You mm-hmm. know, it, it's going back to um, being in the moment, thinking about what it is that you really want. And um, I think the word want is a word that, that bears exploring also, because so many times when it comes to food, people say, well, what do I want? Obviously, I want the cake, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if you think beyond that, you know, do I want to feel good? Yep. And if you can bring that, that want into the picture, then it really does help us um, 
broaden our, our perspective in terms of what it is that I really want. And so if someone has um, some sort of health condition that uh, prohibits them from eating a certain food, and I think celiac is a, a really, really good one, um, at least for those good examples, at least for those people who do have, who their celiac disease is not silent, um, you know, if, if you're going to eat something and you know that you're going to be having, you know, physical, unpleasant physical symptoms in response to it, um, I think, you know, that awareness and keep, it, it just really changes the, um, the decision-making process. Mm. <laughs> and it seems like, oh, of course I would know that, you know, that I wouldn't want it, but eh, it's not so easy sometimes when you're faced with something. And, and, and then obviously also to understand very clearly that it is your choice. Yes. It's not something that you have to do. Mm. It's up to you whether you really want it or not. Mm. And if you, are willing to put up with negative physical consequences as a result of your choice, then that's your choice. Mm. And there's no judgment around that either. No, no, that's actually one of the tough points, isn't it? Is that if you choose, if you do make the choice that has unpleasant consequences, that actually that is still okay. Mm hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting because this just goes back to the, the brilliance of, of Thelma, my mother-in-law who founded Green Mountain, is that she used to have this phrase, choices, decision, responsibility. And so, you know, it was that you have ton, tons of choices out there often. You just need to make the decision about what it is that you really want. And then you take the responsibility for that. Mm. In these days, responsibility kind of has a negative connotation to it. Mm. But it's not really meant that way. It's just about owning, up, owning you know, the consequences mm. of your choice. And, you know, it could be that I'm going to be very happy as a result of this. And that's yeah. one of the two. Or it could be that I'm going to have, you know, GI distress if I eat this. But you know what? I want it. So I'm going to deal with it. Um, Again, in, in, you know, that, I think, um, that way of looking at it really helps you progress in your uh, decision making. Yeah. Because if you're very clear on what the consequences are of a choice, mm -hmm. sometimes it will make it easier for you mm. to make a different decision. Mm. And then being able to think, think your way through those consequences without it being turned into a, a perfectionistic type of, right? Um, you know, or uh, you know, without it, without it leading leading to you know, oh, I sh regret or guilt. Um, and I suppose that's one of the great gifts of of mindfulness is it allows us to make decisions in the moment. Um, and to just be able to observe what's, you know, what's going on for us, whether that's pleasant or unpleasant or usually things are somewhere in between. Right. Absolutely. Mm. You know, that's, that's just that key about, you know, no judgment. Mm. Mm. It, it's really leading me to, to consider that, you know, when we, 
when we think about different ways that we can apply the principles of mindful eating, actually it can really advance and deepen and broaden our perspective because it would be um, very common, I imagine, for a dietitian um, that we would have, have to, uh, that we would find ourselves in a situation where we would be adapting it. So for example, I work with athletes and, um, and sometimes, you know, uh, paying a lot of attention to appetite and eating to appetite doesn't work for athletes because um, often their appetite is uh, very accentuated or very dampened. Um, and so to make adaptation whilst you know while staying true to the principles or um, like we've just been speaking about you know somebody with uh, a health condition or um, you know, just just other stuff going on in their lives I think gives us an opportunity to really dive down and explore how the principles can be adapted to different people in different circumstances absolutely Absolutely. Mm, yeah. So I think this is why I love it so much, Marsha, is because um, it's really, it's for everybody, isn't it? And, and what a beautiful thing for um, kids to learn too. I'm noticing lots of kids are learning <laughs> mindful eating now, which is just, um, you know, at schools and they seem to be teaching a lot more mindfulness and mindful eating. Isn't that great? <coughs> oh, it, it, it's, it's tremendous. And, um, I think, um, you know, we talked about the epidemic of eating struggles. If, if, if we can start teaching this to, to young children and, and truly teaching it in, in, in the spirit of, of which it is, is meant, um, we'll, we'll be heading these, these struggles off at the past. They, they just won't occur, at least that's my optimistic view of things. Which brings me to another point is that this idea of um, mindful eating being uh, another weight loss, um, uh, yeah, you know, technique, <laughs> method. And um, it's certainly many people uh, may experience weight loss as a result of, of becoming uh, proficient mindful eaters because what they're doing is, is learning how to... Um, uh, meet their body's needs mm. uh, and and that's their body finding homeostasis finding balance um, but to to do it for the purpose of weight loss um, really is not in um, the true spirit of, of mindful eating because the true spirit spirit of mindful eating is really uh, you can be intentional but you, but if you have specific goals like I want to lose X number of pounds or something like that that's taking you out of the moment because you're always going to be having that in the background that you know is this choice going to help me uh, reach my goal of um, X pounds or something like that and certainly we know that that um, really can um, affect our choices mm. uh, that it, it 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 brings us up into our heads and not into our body mm. and um so we really want to um really not use mindful eating as a weight loss method but instead as a health supportive method 
Mm. Um, something that really does help a person tune in and um, meet their body's needs. And again, um, supporting the health at every size approach that it really is. Um, it's about finding health, um, mm. not a specific number on a scale. Mm. Yeah. It, 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 it's fascinating and uh, perplexing, I guess, and probably, uh, actually, it's not perplexing. It's actually frustrating <laughs> to um, when to observe uh, many, many people who are kind of taking the principles of mindful eating and directly putting them into a diet, essentially. You know, the, the mindful eating diet, I suppose you could call it. Right. Um, and I think it's... Uh, at the same time as being frustrated with that, I guess I've also learned to soften into that a tiny bit and have some compassion for, uh, for especially for fellow dietitians who are just learning along the way um, and, and understanding that these are dilemmas for us too. You know, we, we have we have people coming to us that are very distressed, that are very upset by the way they feel about their bodies. Um, and, and we all have been raised in this culture where, uh, you know, where we're very strongly told in no uncertain terms that the, that the path to, to happiness is through um, weight control and, and controlling your food. Uh, so I can, I, I definitely can see how tempting it is to go down that path and certainly I'm not sure about you, Marsha, but look, I've made all the mistakes in the book, honestly. Um, and it's been through uh, sometimes the compassionate care of my colleagues and sometimes just being told, you know what, that's not cool. You, you know, you, you've mixed up all the paradigms and you're really not, you're really, you're really mucking it up. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, sometimes, sometimes the straight up version of Look, personally, I prefer the straight-up version, but I understand not everybody does. Um, but I think if, yeah, I, I think that this, this is something that we need to keep talking about amongst our profession, is how we cannot turn uh, things like mindful eating into yet another diet, because for our clients, it's really what they want, you know, so... <laughs> Uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it's this is a very, very hard um, line to walk when, mm. w with someone who is um, in deep distress over their body size. Um, so at, at Green Mountain, our approach really is um, to validate that. It yeah. is certainly understandable in this society that anyone in a larger body or even you know anything that's outside of the thin ideal is um, it can, can could be distressed about it, and um, so we're we're here to help. We're here to help with that distress, and we um, will go at it at a different way, in a different way though than they might have been used to in the past. So, and that's really what the non-diet philosophy is all about: is is moving away from that. But um, I think what you're talking about in terms of, of people in the profession learning, you know, that, that just really feeds into the whole mindfulness mm -hmm. <laughs> aspect again. In fact, there is no judgment, mm -hmm. you know, and what we really want is openness. Yes. Um, yep. And so, you know, it's, it's sometimes hard to, to see that you've been, uh, making mistakes. I've certainly made many of them in my life. Um, but, 
you know, that's, that's in the past. And so we're just learning and we're moving forward. And, um, you know, there are seven attitudes of mindfulness, I think, or at least seven that John Kabat-Zinn um, promotes. And one of them is, is curiosity, mm. <laughs> you know, and it's just so important for, for awareness and making decisions and those sorts of things and just being open. I think openness is another one. You know, I'd, I'd have to look up the list, but patience, you know, being patient with yourself as you're learning all this and knowing that, yes, I will make mistakes and uh, there's no shame in that. Absolutely. Um, you know, we all heard that, you know, if you aren't making mistakes and you aren't doing anything probably, you know, mm-hmm. so, um, so we just need to be um, confident that we're doing the best that we can. And um, I would encourage all, um, all of us to not be adversarial. Mm you know, but to try to just work as a community because our understanding of this is, pardon? Lord knows we need each other. It's true. But again, our understanding just continues to develop. Yeah. And how does it develop? It develops by a whole lot of people doing work in the area so that, um, you know, things things come out and things that we may not have even had any idea could be possible, you know? So we need, we need each other. Yeah. So. And especially as we're beginning to understand more about the brain, you know, thanks to neuroscience and the wonderful, right. wonderful people like, um, you know, uh, Rick Hansen and Dan Siegel, who are, mm-hmm. able, who are able to bring these very complex concepts um, back into very simple ways that, that we can understand and then we can take to our clients, you know, what is happening in our brain when we become stressed, you know, what is happening and then how does mindfulness help our brain? And I, I'm not sure about, uh, about you and your, you know, uh, the, the groups of people you work with, Marsha, but people love that stuff. They absolutely love hearing about, um, you know, now what we understand you know, happens to our brain, and that the best thing about it, as uh, as a professional, is that when I can kind of hold those ideas, and it it, it means that it brings these quite complex concepts um, down to a point where we are all human, and we all experience these things. Um, you know, we 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 all share uh, a life in this culture, and you know that there's a lot we don't know and we're beginning to understand a lot more about the brain and how we can, um, you know, how we can um, uh, bring the concepts of neuroscience to life. And, um, you know, we're all sharing these amazing experiences together. Yeah, you know, and I think one of the greatest things about neuroscience is that it takes away the blame. You know, people so begin true. to understand how something developed in their lives, you know, and, and it's um, it's not because they're bad people or, you know, there's something wrong with them. It's just, again, more than anything, the attitudes and the behaviors, the attitudes that we learn and the behaviors that have come out of it practice over years. 
that has really um, developed um, these neural pathways that keep us going in a certain direction. And so that's where mindfulness can be so powerful because it helps us be aware when we're going in that direction, change directions, develop a new neural pathway that's going to really take us where we want to go. Absolutely. And as well as reducing blame and shame along with that, I think it really opens the door to compassion and to treat ourselves um, with an attitude of kindness. Um, and again, you know, we feel like our conversations kind of come round circle um, in the sense that, you know, it then creates that added space for awareness. So we've kind of got, you know, awareness, curiosity, compassion and all these um and all these beautiful ways of of being that it do enable us to truly connect with what we need at any one time you said it yeah mm. oh Marsha well you know what we, I know we had many incredible conversations together when we met earlier, well, late last year actually in San Francisco, and I look forward to many more conversations with you. Um, I know I shared with you how, how important um, and inspiring your, your work has been for me and for so many other people. So on behalf of everybody else, <laughs> Just wanted to extend a huge thanks for your your commitment and your passion for the area of you know helping people to heal their the relationship that they have with food and and their bodies and the and the enormous contribution you have made to to our profession because we're all yeah we're all just so incredibly grateful and I'm just really appreciative for this conversation. Oh, thank you, Fiona. That's that's really. Um kind of you to to say all that I, I just want to come back at you and say that you are a source of inspiration for me oh, these wow. days um, seeing your enthusiasm your um, participation in in the world in the many ways that you are are, are getting this message out this, this uh, podcast being one of them um, all of this takes a tr tremendous amount of energy and time and commitment. Um, so you are just a real uh, whirlwind of, uh, <laughs> of mindfulness. You're taking the mindfulness and, and spreading it through the world, but your your um, you know your 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 manner in doing it is just so inviting and engaging so I thank you for oh. for being who you are and doing what you do oh thank you Marsha goodness me I feel I, I really am blushing over here I don't blush very often but goodness me that's gone right around the world hasn't it so um, <laughs> well I look forward to catching up with you later in the year we were we were swapping um, some conference itineraries and for anybody else who's listening who will be at the binge eating disorder conference uh, we both look forward to to seeing you there so Marsha what a pleasure it has been chatting with you and uh, thank you so much again thank you Fiona pleasure bye-bye okay. Bye-bye. Well, that's our episode of the Mindful Dietitian interview series for today. Thank you so much to our wonderful guest and to you for listening. I really hope you enjoyed it. 
Just a reminder that you can find me over on the website www.themindfuldietitian.com.au and please join actually quite a large group of wonderful and enthusiastic dietitians on the closed Facebook group The Mindful Dietitian. The music you hear is called Happiness from Ben Sound used under the Creative Commons license. Have a great day everyone.